1: Paul says that these false teachers are puffed up with conceit and they understand nothing. They have an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. They produce envy and dissension and slander and evil suspicions. Constant friction among people who are depraved in mind. That type of person, that type of personality trait That doesn't bring the body of Christ together at all. What it does is it it hurts the body of Christ. It doesn't bring healing to the broken hearted. It actually accentuates that broken heart.
0: As students of God's Word, there are several attacks that come against us in many forms to hinder our growth in Christ. From false doctrines, altered translations, or even more dangerously, false prophets who seek to deceive and lead astray. In today's message, Pastor David teaches us the dangers of false prophets who seek to divide and confuse students of God's Word. In our study, we learn that one of the signs of a false prophet is someone who tears down and divides rather than building up the body of Christ. Now, here's Pastor David with part one of today's message The Call of the Overseer, part two.
1: Well, again, we are in the book of First Timothy. We have worked our way to uh, Chapter three. Last week, we looked at the first portion of this. We covered several of the different items within the uh, requirements of leadership within the local church and again, within that first century church, there was so much that had to uh, literally come together because God was working a, a new thing, and that that requirement that was necessary for Again, the, the leadership, Paul wanted to make sure that both Timothy and Titus would set these things in order and set them in a way and in a position that the church could continue to grow. The Other issue that Paul dealt with there, not only with Timothy, but also with Titus, because of what was going on in the first century church was this rise of, of false teachers. And so, again, with these requirements that he lays out for the bishops, for the elders... For the overseers and for the pastors, many of these requirements, again, speak about the integrity, the the consistency, the, the depth of trust and commitment to the Lord Jesus. And so, again, as we look through many of these things, uh, last week we covered eight out of the 17 that are listed here in First Timothy. We're going to continue on with those this morning. But what I would like for you to do, if you would, just join me as I b- begin reading Reading again, I'm going to begin at the beginning of chapter three. And we'll go through verse seven if you want to follow along with me here. First Timothy chapter three, in verse one. Chapter three, verse one. This is a faithful saying: If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate and sober-minded, and of good behavior hospitable and able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, and not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. And moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. As I shared with you, we went through the first eight of those last week, and I shared with you, this isn't simply a, a, a checklist. You go down and says, well, he covers all of these. He must be the guy. But again, it speaks to the reality of the, the principle of the character of the man. It also speaks in in assisting us in being able to see the motivation and the reasoning behind a man's desire for that position. To desire the position Paul said was good, it's commendable, but, but why does he desire that? Does he have a willingness and does he have the ability to serve the people of God that's placed under his care? And again, as I said, these are principles. These are standards of character for those that would represent the Lord Jesus Christ to the local church as well as the community in which they serve. Now, if you missed last week, I I feel you missed a a, a pretty good message. We, We actually covered two of the most controversial aspects of of this list. That's the divorce and remarriage part, and also the use, the abuse, and the abstinence of alcoholic beverages. So, Again, if you, if you miss that message, you can get it online or you can get a hard copy from the office. But you know what? We survived last week, so I'm not going to go back there again. I'm not going to back up and do that, at least not today. We're going to continue to move forward. So still there in chapter 3, in verse 3 is where we left off with, again, not given to wine. Paul now continues on with some things that really should be absent from the leader's life and as I shared last week these same characteristics they're not different than what you and I ought to be. We look at this list of characteristics and there's there's really not a one that that we would say, well that's only for the leaders. Really for you and I as representatives of Jesus Christ in the world all of these things would fit. So Those desiring to be placed in that position of leadership, whether it be as an elder or as a pastor, these characteristics, though, they need to be clearly consistent in their lives, both within the church as well as in the outside world. So now let's move on, still in verse 3. Verse 3 says, the bishop must not be violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, and not covetousness. Well, Just as we shared last week, just as drunkenness and the abuse of alcohol leads to a person going out of control, being out of control, not having the right mind. So this whole idea of violence should be absolutely absent from a believer's life. And in particular, the the life of the leadership. Paul uses a word here, a Greek word, plaketes, and it's translated as one who is a, a striker, someone who's quick to use his fist to settle arguments. It's also the idea of a quarrelsome, someone who is a a bully and that kind of a mindset. Well, that kind of violence, it's actually was part of the characteristics of the false teachers that were there during those days. Look with me, keep your place here in chapter three of 1 Timothy, flip over a page or two to chapter six and Look what Paul speaks about these false teachers. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4, Paul says that these false teachers are puffed up with conceit and they understand nothing. They have an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. They produce envy and dissension and slander and evil suspicions. Constant friction among people who are depraved in mind. That. Type of person, that type of personality trait, that doesn't bring the body of Christ together at all. What it does is it it hurts the body of Christ. It doesn't bring healing to the broken hearted. It actually accentuates that broken heart. So next we look at the next characteristic, and it says that the bishop must not be greedy for money. And in the King James, I love the King James version on this. It says not greedy for. Filthy lucre, filthy lucre. I would never use that word in ordinary conversation, but I love it where it's here. I don't don't know why, it just really speaks about that word. And again, Paul uses this phrase or uses that that word, the Greek word that's translated filthy lucre, only here in Timothy and in Titus. It has that really kind of the meaning of one that's drawn to or, or fond of dishonest gain. It's not just the fact that, yes, I want to have a good job to provide for my family. No, this is, uh, again, a a, a desire for dishonest or get-rich-quick and that it's consumed the individual, greedy for gain. That's what the word says. That's what the word means. That's what Paul is trying to give us here. Now, hear me. Money, beloved, is a needful thing within our lives. I fully understand that. Some of us have more than others. I understand that, the balance of all things. But money is what pays the mortgage. Money is what pays the bills. Money is what buys food to put on your table. I understand that fully. And yet it is through the faithful giving of money also that the work of God can flourish and, and touch the hearts and the lives of many people. However, there's a vast difference between money being used to reach people versus using people to reach for money. And I've seen Two different kinds of ministries in that same way. Some that all their resources, man, they are reaching out for the gospel cause. Others, they reach as many people as they can to get as much money as they can. And you can see it within the ministry. Pretty much the same words, but totally different mindset. Money being used to reach people versus using people to reach for money. Philip Towner, a guy that I'd quoted last week, he also says that in the church our and in our private lives, our attitudes, our our motivations where money and acquiring things are concerned, they must be brought before God for evaluation. God's word and not the values of our society in which we live must be the thing that shapes and corrects our thinking and behavior in this area. Paul also deals with this particularly misdirected aspect, this desiring greediness of, of gain, this desire for dishonest gain. He deals with it a little bit later. Once again, in, in 1 Timothy 6, you can look there again with me, if you would, And down in verse 9, where he tells them that uh, those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is evil. no neither money is evil. What what does he say here? For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is not the evil thing. Money is just a, 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 a tool that God uses. It's our attachment to it. It's our direction to it. That is evil, the love of money, a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and they've pierced themselves through with many sorrows. If the ideas gang of, of get-rich-quick schemes continue to direct your lives, then you know what? I don't believe that the souls of people are mu- of much concern in your lives. Why? Because your focus is on the means of gain rather than the needs of people. When the love of money directs somebody's life, they're not going to be directed by the Holy Spirit of God. They're going to be continually drawn by this craving for material things. And how much stuff is enough stuff? You can ask the, the richest in our world, and the response is almost always just a little bit more. I've got everything I could think of, but I'd love to have just a little bit more. One of the other characteristics that Paul gives us about a bishop or a leader, he says that a bishop must not be covetous. That speaks of an unhealthy attachment, both for money and possessions. They both kind of go together when suddenly Things of a material basis, uh, whether it be money or, or possessions, they are so important and so desiring that, that, again, it controls, it consumes your life. Many of you are probably familiar with the, uh, the character from uh, Tolkien's uh, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, a little guy, Gollum. Some of you might remember him. Well, Gollum had become the possessor of the ring, Okay, and that ring extended life. It also helped them to be able to disappear if he puts it on. And as he gets that ring, we find within this whole tale of Tolkien's, The Lord of the Rings and and The Hobbit, that uh, it becomes so precious to him that he'll do anything he possibly can to hold on to it. And again, just like he says, we want it, we needs it, we must have. Our precious, we've got to have our precious precious, if you've seen the movie. Otherwise, I've just made an absolute fool of myself. So in in the words of Tolkien, literally through the centuries as that ring extended his life, Gollum came to both love and hate the ring just as he loved and hated himself because of it. That unhealthy, that unbalanced pursuit of riches It'll destroy our lives, particularly for a leader, but also in all of our lives. Well, actually, I skipped over two characteristics there when I went to covetous, but let's go back and look at them, two that are actually opposites. He says that a bishop must be gentle and not quarrelsome, gentle and not quarrelsome. All of these that, that are gathered together there in that, that, that couple of verses not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. All of those stem from this self focused kind of a, a mindset. Some versions there, instead of saying gentle, they actually use patient. I believe your King James Version says patient. Again, it's more than patient. It's an example of gentleness dealing with issues of the church body as a whole as well as dealing with individuals. Again, it speaks of that moderation in our emotions and actions. People will do the craziest things. How do we respond to them? As a leader, we need to respond in gentleness. A pastor has to be one who can give gentle instruction to others and at the same time take criticism without reacting in a negative fashion. You understand what I'm saying there? He's got to give and be able to give gentle instruction when he sees someone going wrong. But at the same time, he himself has to be able to take criticism without reacting in a negative fashion. Some have rightly said that to be a pastor, you have to have the hide of a rhinoceros and the heart of a dove. It's not very easy, but it is the right attitude to have. Leadership style should be that of leading and not driving the sheep. That's why he's called a shepherd the flock. If a bishop is quarrelsome, there'll never be peace, there'll never be comfort within the fellowship of the saints, either in his own life or within the life of the fellowship itself. The shepherd of a church must be a peacemaker without compromising his convictions. One man has said that short tempers do not make for long ministries. And how true that is verse 4 and 5 back in 1 Timothy chapter 3 but verse 4 and 5 they they go together he says a bishop must be one who rules his own house well having his children in submission with all reverence for if a man does not know how to rule his own house how will he take care of the church of God and again this can be Easily misunderstood as a statement that what he is not saying here is that uh, the children of the bishop have to, or the pastor, have to be perfect. But uh, again, there, there's also the, the question no, he's not saying that he has to have children either. What it does do is uh, through the centuries, a lot of times it placed a lot of pressure on the children of, of pastors. And again, the, that that whole idea, man, your, your kids have to be perfect. How come, you, isn't that the pastor's kid? What's he doing over there? Well, he's with everybody else, you know? There's, there's nothing different about that. It speaks about that overall care, that overall direction. Again, the character of that individual Ought to be that if he is married, if he does have children, there is order and there is clarity within his house. Warren Weirdsby states that if a man's own children can't obey and respect him, then his church is not likely to respect and obey his leadership. For Christians, the church and the home are one we should oversee both of them with love, truth, and discipline. The pastor cannot be one thing at home and something else in church. If he is, his children will detect it, and there will be problems. Well, let's move on. Paul gives us the next one there in verse 6, as he says, that a bishop must not be a novice, a new believer, Lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into that same condemnation as the devil. And believe me, pride isn't something just for new believers, but it is primarily a fact that new believers that are pushed up into positions of leadership are more easily more prone to fall into pride. A lot of times we look at someone who in their secular life perhaps they were a great leader, maybe they had great speaking abilities, maybe they were a great people person. They come to Christ and we want to all suddenly put them in a leadership position because after all they're, they're they're great leaders in the world, they'll be awesome leaders there in the church. But beloved, if they are new in the faith, if there's not been a maturity grown in them, then again we're setting them up for failure being the elder, being the pastor, being an overseer of a a church body. We need to understand that's that's spiritual business. It's not secular business. Oh, we have some secular type of things that we need to deal with. Robert and I had to deal with some stuff at the city this last week because of trying to get these modulars into place. We deal with those kinds of things. Believe me, if we don't pay our uh, payroll taxes to the IRS, we will be in great big trouble. So there are things that we need to deal with, but in the overall run of things, The direction of the church is, again, spirit-led and not led by the things of the flesh. As a matter of fact, the strength of the individual, leader's abilities, they have to come from the spirit of God and not from his own flesh. If you can explain the success of a ministry or a program because of the skills or the abilities of the leader, then the Holy Spirit is then pushed into the background and the pride of the man begins to blossom. And although maybe a younger believer is more susceptible to that issue, as I shared earlier, uh, again, every leader faces this. Years ago, I was bummed out because, again, the church was going through some struggles. It wasn't doing very well at the time, and uh, we, we it seemed like we were dropping in attendance, and I was sharing this with a pastor friend of mine about how bummed I was, man, because the church was, just wasn't doing, and I, I probably wasn't the guy for the job, and I, man, I, I was just, again, pointing to me as the, as the cause and the failure of that, and there was a lot of truth in that, but hear me out on this he looked at me and he says, be careful there. You're walking in a lot of pride. i thought, pride, gee, you hear? I'm, 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 I'm saying what a horrible job I'm doing and the church isn't going very well and it's probably all my fault. And he says, but that same attitude in the negative, what happens when it's in the positive? When the church is doing well, does that mean it's all because of you? Okay, he kind of hit a home run right into my face, Okay. Because in, in reality, that's exactly what was going on. I started thinking it was all about me, rather than even in the midst of my failings. It's amazing that anybody shows up. But it's by the power and by the call and by the direction and by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us that when a leader, when an elder, when a pastor becomes puffed up with pride, is then very ready to fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Some have looked at that and said, well, what does that mean? Does that mean he's going to lose his salvation? Does that mean that somebody with pride, they're going to be banished from heaven for all eternity, just like Satan was? No, I believe that when we look at the context of the whole passage It ties together with actually what he says next, again, about not falling into the reproach and the snare of the devil, that the devil himself will bring condemnation to you and then try and drag them down.
0: There's so much to learn from the pages of 1 Timothy. But sadly, we've come to the conclusion of today's message with Pastor David. You don't have to wait to hear another edition of The Open Word. Simply visit our website at theopenword.com and click on Teachings to download several past messages taught by Pastor David. You can also subscribe to our podcast to get each teaching as soon as it's made available. We're so glad you're part of our listening audience, and we'd love to connect with you. Find us on Facebook, learn more about us at theopenword.com, or just give us a call. We love hearing from our listeners. Our phone number is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. And if you live in or are visiting the
1: Casa Grande area, Pastor David has an invitation just for you. Thanks, Chris. I'd like to personally invite you to join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Bible. We meet every Sunday at 9 o'clock and at 11 o'clock a.m., and on Wednesdays and Saturday at 7.30 p.m. You can find our address and directions by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church page. I look forward to meeting you in person and sharing this journey of faith with you.
0: Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for tuning in to The Open Word today. May God bless your continuing study of God's Word. Join us next time for more from 1 Timothy right here on The Open Word.